Well, good afternoon and welcome to the program. Richard Duggan here with you today. My guest on today's show has a lot on his plate to say the least. Not only is he the Minister of Health and Community Services, but he's also the Minister of Education alternate. My guest today is Tom Osborne. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out. And uh, there's lots to discuss. Uh, you know, your healthcare portfolio, education portfolio now, two incredibly uh, demanding jobs on your desk. Uh, how do you go about balancing those duties? Well, we've got a great staff and great executive in, in each of the departments. There's no question it's a very busy time. Um, uh, but, you know, we are looking forward to Minister Haggy getting back, uh, getting back into the saddle at, at education. Uh, I understand, uh, you know, we we do anticipate seeing them back soon. Excellent. That is great news to hear. Um, let's start off with the education portfolio then. Uh, there's lots to unpack there. Um, we'll start with the issue of school busing. Uh, last weekend, the school district announced that they would be suspending a busing contract uh, due to safety concerns. Uh, we've heard from a lot of parents voicing their concerns about the safety of their children while being bused to school since then. Um, what's your take on the situation and how do you respond to those concerns from parents? Well, first of all, I know that the school district uh, put the safety of students first and foremost. Uh, when they've informed me um, late last week uh, that they were moving this way, it was for the safety of students. Uh, while it has caused some disruption uh, for parents, I think the, you know, ensuring that uh, students are the priority, their safety is the priority, uh, is the message. Um, I do understand that the school district had worked with other busing contractors to very quickly fill the, uh, the routes. Uh, some as early as, as Monday, uh, suspension had happened over the weekend. Um, and I understand that uh, some of the routes were in as early as Monday. Um, Tuesday, I think, was a snow day. Others were in, uh, supposed to be in on Tuesday, others on Wednesday. So I think all of the runs are, are now back up and running um, and, uh, and students accommodated as far as I understand. Now, I know that uh, part of this would involve the Department of Transportation, too, I would imagine, but is there anything more that can be done from your perspective in, in terms of the checks and balances uh, to ensure that uh, buses are up to code and, and enough is being done to check and make sure uh, that uh, the safety is in place for students? Well, the inspections are done on, on a frequent basis. Uh, my understanding from the school district, they were made aware of a couple of uh, concerns um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't go into the specifics, uh, obviously, but uh, they were made aware of, of some concerns and uh, acted quickly to ensure that uh, uh, the buses that uh, we put our students on, our children, uh, are safe for them to travel uh, to and from school. But a bit of another topic now, uh, and this one will tie in with uh, your portfolio of health as well, uh, talking a lot about absenteeism in schools, particularly last year when we saw uh, the first peak of the of the flu season. Uh, lots of students were out of school. Uh, this flu season has been particularly rough on a lot of kids. 
what do we know right now in terms of absenteeism in our schools uh, as of right now? So with the start of the school year, uh, we were aware of uh, not only COVID uh, concerns, but influenza as well, uh, other you know respiratory uh, concerns. So we did see uh, just prior to Christmas a spike in absenteeism. Um, I do understand that uh, both from the student population as well as the staff and uh, faculty population that levels are back generally be considered normal. Um, you know, we do anticipate uh, with COVID still present in the community uh, that there will be students from time to time absent as a result of COVID. Uh, but, you know, that the student populations are very much back to within normal ranges. Uh, we had school closures uh, this year, um, either on a, 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 an independent or uh, on a community basis like we did um, earlier in the pandemic. First Voice has released its 10-year community action plan with a bunch of recommendations. One of them um, on the topic of education uh, is what they want to see is a, a revamping of sorts of the K-12 curriculum to better include uh, the history experiences of Indigenous peoples. Um, what does government think of that recommendation, and is that something that government will be looking at? Government, uh, the Department of Education has been working uh, with the five Indigenous communities in the province. Uh, there is a committee uh, consisting of government and uh, the Indigenous communities looking at curriculum. That's been in place for some time. Um, it does take time to change curriculum, but uh, I do understand that there have been changes to curriculum to better reflect uh, the contributions to cultures, uh, the heritage of our indigenous communities in the province, and that work continues. Uh, we will see further changes as curriculum um, uh, textbooks are, are taken out of circulation and new textbooks put into circulation. Uh, so the work of that committee and the involvement of the indigenous communities is very, very important. All Newfoundlanders and Labradorians need to have a better understanding of the heritage, uh, the, the cultures, and the contributions of our Indigenous communities in the province. Uh, you mentioned there about, uh, you know, this will come uh, a bit more as, you know, new textbooks are brought in and the old ones are sort of cycled out. How often are I guess, curriculums, just the general, in general, looked at and, uh, you know, how often do we sort of see uh, those new uh, curriculums, new textbooks uh, coming into play? It happens on a regular basis. Every year we see uh, textbooks retired and new textbooks brought in. Um, there are literally uh, thousands of, of uh, pieces of curriculum within our K-12 system. Uh, so it's impossible to do it on a wholesale basis. Uh, you have to focus on uh, textbooks uh, across all grades on an annual basis. And, uh, you know, as they become dated and, and uh, retire out of the system, uh, we ensure that the information that are in textbooks that are brought into the system are relevant and modern and, uh, you know, that, that they, they focus uh, and they're appropriate uh, for the grades that are being taught. 
course, speaking with Tom Osborne on today's edition of On Target. He is the Minister of Health and Community Services and the Minister of Education alternate uh, in uh, the, or, or sorry, as uh, uh, Minister John Hagee is uh, taking some time away to deal with an issue. Uh, we will take our first break of the day here on today's edition of On Target, and we're going to continue with some questions about uh, the education uh, portfolio coming up after this. And welcome back to the show. Richard Duggan here with you on today's edition of On Target. A lot to unpack with today's guest, uh, Minister of Health and Community Services. That is Tom Osborne. He is also the Education Minister Alternate. And uh, that's the portfolio we're talking about right now is education. And Minister Osborne, last year there was a big report released uh, called Learning in a Time of Change. A uh, number of recommendations on the K-12 system in that uh, walk me through now where government is in terms of acting on some of those recommendations and implementing them. Uh, I'd have to get an update for you on that. Uh, I haven't been briefed on that, Richard, uh, but I can get that update and get it to your listeners. Um, we'll get that to you as quickly as we can. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, especially given uh, the challenges on the K-12 system over the last number of years, uh, certainly a priority for government, I would imagine, to uh, get that done as quickly as possible. Absolutely. There's been a number of changes in uh, the K-12 system and with early learning in the department. Uh, we are transitioning from the English school district, uh, transitioning the English school district into uh, the Department of Education. Um, so it is a time of uh, transformation, and with that comes many, many opportunities. Um, so there's been a, a tremendous amount of work done both at the district level as that transition takes place, as well as at the departmental level uh, as the transition takes place. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at early learning, uh, there are a number of advancements and achievements uh, in that regard as well. And now you mentioned the, uh, the integration of this district into the Department of Education. Where is that at right now? And I, I guess what are the, the steps that uh, government is looking at to clue up that process? So the, the former chair, uh, Tony Stack, has retired. We have a new chair put in place, Terry Hall, who was part of the executive at the English School District. Uh, there's a team of uh, a transition team and a, a new board put in place. Uh, the board consists of uh, deputy ministers from a number of departments that would be involved in the transition of the school district, uh, the Department of Education, Transportation and Infrastructure, Finance, uh, for example, are part of that, uh, the new board, as well as individuals from within the, uh, the school district. So the, the work continues uh, at, the, you know, uh, as I said, Tremendous progress has been made. Um, we are looking at bringing um, the uh, the staff of the department in as, uh, or the staff of the district and the staff of the department. But one of the focuses and the priorities here has been to ensure that there's been no disruption uh, to the school system or to students. So many students, uh, many teachers, while this transition is happening, uh, they won't see any difference in how our educators are teaching within the, the classroom during the transition. 
um, but there will be efficiencies that will go back into the classroom uh, as a result of the transition. And we're, we're already seeing uh, signs of that uh, as a result of the efficiencies. Uh, what, what sort of efficiencies? Well, there's fewer executive required, so uh, we've already made changes at the executive level, uh, for example. Um, so that was immediate. Uh, there has been uh, a savings already, and that saving, those savings can be uh, reinvested into education. Uh, we will also see savings as we move forward. We've indicate, indicated that uh, there won't be any mass layoffs as a result of this. So there will be savings. We have retirements and attrition is a normal part of uh, government operation as people retire out of the system um, where there is duplication, whether it's in teacher payroll, for example, or in building maintenance. Um, as another example, we have uh, both of those areas. We have teacher payroll at the district. We have teacher payroll within the Department of Finance. So there, there will be duplication there. Uh, but as people retire out of the system, uh, we'll need to hire fewer back uh, because of the duplication of services in, in many instances. When is the process of uh, integrate, integrating the district into government, when is that process expected to be completely wrapped up and finished? Uh, well, it's an ongoing process. So uh, in order to ensure that the process happens seamlessly, um, you know, that can happen over time. Um, you know, when the, the school year concludes uh, in June, uh, some of those pieces are more easily moved, but we do want to ensure uh, that the process is seamless so that uh, there is absolutely no disruption to the schooling system um, and uh, how educators uh, operate within the system, how staff operate, and most especially how services are delivered to students. Last week, uh, you, uh, in a conversation with Linda Swain, uh, told us about, gave us an update on the ECU wage grid, and you announced that that will be in place by April 1st, a firm date uh, that has been put in place. Educators, uh, happy to hear that, but they're still looking for some answers about specifics on uh, things with the wage grid, and including wages. Uh, we know right now, for example, that uh, level twos will get, I believe, $25 an hour. Uh, now, uh, questions starting to come in about uh, the other levels. Uh, level ones, threes, fours, et cetera. Uh, when can they expect for all the details of this to be spelled out? Uh, that will be um, within the next week or so. We'll be able to provide details on the wage grid. Um, it was important working with the industry and the industry stakeholders uh, or the sector um, and, and sector stakeholders that we, we got the wage grid right um, and that was the focus. The promise to ECEs was that uh, they would get um, uh, the increase uh, that we see in the wage grid effect of January 1st. So all ECEs will get a retro uh, payment uh, from April 1st back to January 1st. But in addition, in recognition uh, of the important work they do, uh, ECEs also got a $2,000 uh, appreciation bonus um, 
you know, we understand that the wage grid is coming April 1st and, and that it was important to recognize the valuable work they do. So that uh, recognition bonus uh, was put in place uh, and all ECEs should have received that um, by now. The wage grid itself, um, while the, the level two was at $25, we will see level three and level four, for example, uh, at a little higher than that. Um, it, it is meant to recognize um, the increased uh, education and, and increased responsibility in some cases. Uh, Pre-kindergarten, uh, for example, would get a higher wage than a level one or level two. Uh, so it is put in place to allow for advancement uh, and uh, with the increased education and advancement that that would be recognized. One more question on education and then we'll move on to uh, the health portfolio. Um, government announced uh, earlier in the school year that uh, they will be looking at uh, the way public exams are delivered in the province. Uh, they've been canceled again for this year as it has been uh, for every year since the uh, pandemic took hold. Uh, just looking for an update on that and where government is with uh, those plans. Well, that is uh, that was a commitment of government uh, to look at public exams. I think that it is important that uh, there is a, a way to measure measure uh, you know some some uh, form of standardized testing across the province. Um, we need that. The students need that. Um, there has been some challenge in terms of not having that standardized testing and uh, students moving into post-secondary education. So the department are working um, with the school district on what that will look like in terms of standardized testing, uh, being able to measure uh, the, the progress of students and the, the knowledge of students across the province to ensure that regardless if you're living in, in Marystown or Marys Harbor, Labrador, that you're receiving uh, a standardized education and curriculum. Um, so th those plans are in place to look at what will uh, replace the public exams uh, in terms of uh, standardized testing and measurement of, uh, of uh, education and knowledge and, and uh, the curriculum that's being taught. And those plans will be um, unfolding as they're put in place. We're speaking with Tom Osborne on today's edition of On Target, uh, currently talking about uh, the education portfolio. He is the Minister of Education alternate. Coming up next on the program, we're going to move on to the health portfolio, and uh, there's numerous issues to discuss there, so stick around. We'll dive into that coming up next. And welcome back to On Target. Richard Duggan here on your VOCM speaking with Tom Osborne. And we're going to move on now to uh, your portfolio of health and community services. And the big one that's been in the news over the last week uh, that has a lot of people talking is the issue of uh, obstetrics in Gander. Uh, so the health accord recommendation is to sort of centralize all of that. Um, in Grand Falls, Windsor, but there's been a lot of concerns, specifically uh, the mayor of uh, Gander coming out uh, in opposition of that. Uh, we spoke with the mayor of New West Valley as well. Uh, just 
initially, Minister Osborne. Where do you stand on that issue? So I, I've spoken with the mayor of New West Valley, uh, the mayor of Gander as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can share with the public what I've uh, indicated to both mayors. Uh, there's been no decision um, on obstetrics in Central. Um, while centralization of obstetrics was a recommendation of the Health Accord, um, you know, the Health Accord is a very comprehensive document uh, and looked at health care and a 10-year plan throughout the province, uh, a very comprehensive document. But we have indicated that uh, before any decision is made on obstetrics in Central, uh, that there will be a very uh, comprehensive consultation with all stakeholders. Um, both mayors have indicated uh, the distance uh, from the furthest point away to Grand Falls uh, would be about three hours. So, you know, obviously that has to be taken into account. Uh, we need an understanding of, uh, you know, uh, obstetricians maintaining competency. Uh, recruitment is a factor, uh, but we are focused on recruitment, including recruitment uh, of obstetricians and the required uh, supporting staff for obstetricians in uh, the central region. And, uh, you know, there, uh, this decision will not be made um, uh, lightly. It will be done with full consultation uh, and a full understanding of the needs and requirements of the central region. Um, another spin-off concern of this uh, that was mentioned to me uh, was the idea that if obstetrics is moved out of Gander and uh, centralized in Grand Falls, Windsor, there is concern from others in the area that uh, it, once obstetrics goes, other areas could go. Pediatrics, for example, closely tied uh, with obstetrical services. Do you have any message for people that, that are concerned that, uh, you know, the loss of other services if obstetrics is moved uh, to Grand Falls, Windsor? Both hospitals are, are absolutely vital to the delivery of healthcare in the central region. Um, you know, so there's no attack on, uh, on one hospital or the other. Um, and again, I mean, in looking at obstetrics, um, you know, there's no decision made on whether obstetrics will move from one location to another. Um, that decision um, is not made. And, uh, you know, I, I don't foresee um, that decision uh, being made anytime soon. Uh, we have priorities in healthcare, um, and uh, the, the Health Accord is a very comprehensive document. Uh, there are uh, areas within the health accord uh, that we need to focus on uh, and the resources, the, the staff within the department and within the health authority uh, have to focus on, uh, including the collaborative care te uh, teams throughout the province, um, uh, improving um, emergency services throughout the province, um, the uh, lowering the wait times for uh, for uh, surgeries and other procedures in the province, uh, recruitment and retention. Uh, so th there are, you know, there are certainly priorities. Uh, I wouldn't 
uh, classify making a decision on obstetrics and central as one of the top priorities. Something that uh, will be happening very soon uh, will be the completion of the merger of the health authorities. Earlier, we were talking about uh, the, the absorption of uh, the department, or sorry, the NLESD into the Department of Education. Uh, at the same time, this merger of the health authorities is taking place. I believe uh, April is when that's going to be finalized. Um, so I guess uh, the you know the department is in the final stages of that now. Uh, just give us an update on where that is and what's left to do. So we are on target uh, for April uh, to have one health authority in the province. Uh, there's a great deal of work that is taking place. Um, we, uh, you know, I, I've been meeting uh, with the uh, the executives and and the boards uh, as I'm able uh, for the the four health authorities. Um, the we have very solid people in all regions of the province, and as we move to one health authority, um, you know, it is important that uh, the uh, the views and uh, concerns of each region are recognized, and uh, they will be on the health councils that will be put in place throughout the province. Um, that uh, is part of the the plan of moving to one health authority, and it was. Uh, debated and voted on uh, in the legislature, uh, ensuring that each region has a seat at the table uh, for the board uh, is important uh, so that all uh, regions of the province have a voice uh, and that the unique concerns or issues within a region are uh, prioritized for that region. Will those uh, health councils uh, be in place by April 1st as well, or will that be something that uh, will take a little more time to, to get fully in place? And that will take a little more time to get fully in place. Uh, that is part of the process. As we move to One Health Authority, uh, the executives and so on within the, uh, the four regions in the province will remain. Um, and again, uh, the, uh, the healthcare system is... Uh, a very large system that has to continue to operate and operate uh, as efficiently as possible. Uh, so the, the goal as we move to One Health Authority is to do it in such a way that uh, uh, there's no disruption to services. Uh, you know, if you walk into a hospital in Gander or Cornerbrook or uh, Happy Valley, uh, Goose Bay, that uh, you don't see a difference in terms of uh, the fact that we're transitioning, but the transition into One Health Authority will provide a difference to people throughout the province in the fact that we will have One Health Information System. Um, and, and that will come over time as well. The RFP for that has been put out. Uh, the Health Information System will allow uh, the hospital in Cornerbrook to communicate with the hospital in St. John's, which they can't now. Uh, the challenge with having four health authorities, uh, you had four procurement processes, which meant you had different IT systems, you had different equipment. Uh, if staff was trained on a piece of equipment in one region of the province and moved to another, they'd have to be trained on a piece of equipment in the other region. Uh, the mobility of, of physicians, uh, for example, last year we had a, a physician from Labrador who was vacationing in Bonavista. 
and was required because they were going to vacation in a different transport authority. That physician was willing to do a couple of shifts in Bonavista, but had to fill out a barrage of paperwork. Uh, so we're breaking down the barriers to a smooth and efficient operation uh, to ensure that we have consistency, not only of equipment, consistency of our, our health information system so that uh, instead of printing off the file and, and sending it in with a patient as they go to tertiary care in St. John's or having to fax it in, or even if the, somebody from St. John's is visiting family in, in uh, St. Anthony, uh, they need to visit the hospital while they're there. Health professionals will have access to their health files, health records. Uh, the other benefit is, uh, in terms of patients, once this health information system is put in place and up and running, if you're uh, scheduled for a scan in one region of the province, for example, you will have access to your health records and say, well, you know, the scan can be done quicker in uh, Carbonier than it can be in St. John's. Uh, I'm willing to drive to Carbonier if I can get it done three or four weeks earlier. Uh, you can make that decision and schedule the scan and go in and reschedule so that you, you can uh, choose the location and have it done sooner. Part of becoming one health authority, and we've seen the benefit uh, in terms of the health accord, uh, where we have uh, traveling uh, uh, surgeons, for example, doing uh, hip and knee replacements in St. Anthony, and uh, they will travel there and, and do that with you know, becoming one health authority. It makes that easier. Uh, the cardiac cath flights, uh, we've called them Heart Force One, um, where yeah, a plane will, will travel throughout the province and pick up individuals, bring them to St. John's uh, for cardiac attack. And, uh, you know, if the procedure can be done, uh, they're sent home on the same day uh, to the hospital closer to their home um, instead of taking up an acute care bed in St. John's and having to be away from family uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, that, that inconvenience, we're closer to home. Uh, you know, we've seen a number of changes such as that already taking place as a result of the health accord moving one health authority. So it will bring about efficiencies. We're speaking with Health Minister Tom Osborne on today's edition of On Target. We have to take one final break of the day, uh, but there's still lots to dive into, and we're going to do it when we come back. And welcome back to On Target. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. My guest on today's program is Health Minister Tom Osborne. And uh, Minister Osborne, one thing that is, of course, going to be keeping you uh, very busy for the next little while. Um, this uh, recently, uh, the federal health care funding, uh, that deal that uh, the premiers uh, accepted uh, last week in terms of uh, the new health care funding deal from Ottawa, uh, you've been tasked now with hammering out the specifics. Uh, lay it out for us. How does this look from Newfoundland and Labrador's perspective, and what do we stand to gain? Well, uh, the, the the federal funding will amount to uh, just over $100 million in new funding for the upcoming fiscal year. And that will be through the Canada Health Transfer, as well as the bilateral agreements uh, with the province. Uh, and they focus on, on shared 
uh, priorities within healthcare. Uh, myself and the Premier met with Dominic LeBlanc and uh, Johnny Duclos, uh, the two federal ministers, uh, Minister of Health and Minister responsible for intergovernmental relations federally uh, this week. Um, and they have acknowledged that our health accord, the plan that has been put in place in this province to transform healthcare, uh, improve and make healthcare more efficient, lines up very well with the priorities that the federal government has uh, laid out uh, that will be tied to this funding. And it focuses on uh, uh, improving family health care, uh, particularly in, in rural areas, uh, but certainly across the country, uh, focusing on uh, increasing the health workforce. And, and we've been focused heavily on recruitment and retention uh, on uh, backlogs, uh, you know, whether it's the cardiac cath lights or the hip and knee replacements in St. Anthony or Carvenere or the same-day joint replacement uh, program. Uh, we've carried out a number of initiatives, uh, the out-of-hospital uh, cataract surgeries, for example. That lines up very well with the, the federal uh, priorities for mental health and addictions, uh, modernizing the healthcare system. So we are well underway to having the bilateral agreement signed with the federal government. Um, and we've been recognized across the country for having a very solid plan in place. And I would say we are ahead of uh, most, if not all, jurisdictions in terms of having that plan and uh, having our priorities line up with the federal priorities. It's been said many times now that we have some of the highest spending on health care out of anywhere in the country, yet some of the poorest health outcomes. So how can this money be used in a way that we can see those better outcomes, given that we don't have uh, necessarily, when it comes to health care spending, currently uh, the best outcomes or the outcomes that we would like to have? So there and that is what the, the plan put in place, uh, the, the Premier's vision of the Health Accord uh, that was authored by uh, Pat Parfrey and, and Sister Elizabeth Davis, um, recognizes uh, you know, not only the environmental, um, uh, but other factors, uh, you know, the, the way Newfoundlanders and Labradorians live, our, our, our diets, uh, the consumption of, of alcohol, uh, for example, is amongst the highest in this country. Um, uh, so it, it looks at uh, those factors um, and how we improve wellness and population health so that we have less reliance on the healthcare system. Uh, the issues that uh, uh, our health professionals throughout the province are facing today uh, have a higher acuity than uh, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, in part because of an aging population, uh, but in part because while we do have the highest spending per capita, we have the worst outcomes. So it has to be a systemic change in in how we uh, look at our own health, um, in how we deliver healthcare in the province, in how we uh, become more efficient in the province, and you know, whether it is the arrangement with the Ottawa Heart Institute, where we send patients there, they send specialists to this province to work side by side with our cardiac uh, health professionals 
uh, and and sharing knowledge and and uh, and so on. We are focused on improving our healthcare system uh, in this province from a cultural perspective, a wellness perspective, but uh, even uh, just as importantly as that from delivering uh, our healthcare and finding those efficiencies to have a better healthcare system, not only for Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, but for the health professionals that work within the system. Moving on to another topic now, Minister Osborne. Uh, last week, we had a few stories about rural firefighters uh, increasingly having the duties of paramedics downloaded onto them when an ambulance isn't available or what have you. Uh, their concern is that they don't have the same level of training as paramedics would in those situations, and they're worried that one day it could have serious effects for someone uh, who is in need of urgent care. Uh, what concerns do you have with that situation right now, and how can it be remedied? That is one of the areas where the, the health accord identify we need uh, significant improvement in uh, in ambulance services in the province. Uh, the health accord calls for an integration of ambulance services, uh, and that is something that is currently being worked on. We're um, current. We're focused on and engaged in looking for uh, meaningful solutions in how we resolve the issue. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're considering uh, the options about how to best provide uh, ambulance services in the province, um, including the recommendations that are outlined in the health report. Oh, uh, very quickly now, we have uh, about four minutes left. Minister Osborne, want to get an update on our recruitment and retention efforts. I know that that has been a, a big priority of government uh, over the last few months. Um, how are we doing right now in terms of those efforts, uh, specifically as it relates to the desk in India and our efforts in Ireland? We're doing uh, very well. I know that the Come Home Incentive, we've hired over 40 health professionals as a direct result of that incentive. Uh, the Family Practice uh, Initiative uh, has recruited over 23 uh, family physicians. Um, we have uh, a huge interest from nurses in India. Uh, we have to get them through the immigration process to get them here. Uh, part of that in involves uh, ensuring that they have job offers so that they qualify for, for immigration to Canada. Um, and then the process of immigration starts. Uh, it is uh, about a five or six month process to get them here. Uh, but we are uh, well underway in terms of uh, the engagement with nurses who have uh, shown the interest, the, the job offers, uh, and the availability of positions within the health authorities. I do anticipate that we will see solid uh, uptake and results from the India desk. Uh, one more for you now, Minister Osborne, before I have to let you go. Uh, last fall, uh, the provincial government announced that they would be replacing uh, St. Clair's Hospital here in St. John's. Uh, any updates on how that process is going right now? Uh, last I heard, uh, a site was still uh, yet to be determined. Yeah, so they, it, it is in the process of uh, um, having uh, analyzing what the facility will have to look like, 
the number of beds that will be required. Uh, there will be a consultant engaged uh, to tell us that uh, and uh, what services should be provided uh, at St. Clair's. Um, I just did a tour, for example, of Western Memorial, uh, the new hospital for in, in the Western region. It is state-of-the-art. Uh, when you look at St. Clair's and it's cumbersome, the emergency department even is cumbersome at St. Clair's, anybody who's visited there. Uh, the facility in Western, we're being told by Western Health uh, and others, uh, will actually be a recruitment tool because of this modern state-of-the-art. Uh, you're able to operate very efficiently within the, the hospital. The amenities and the services that can be provided there uh, will be a huge improvement over the existing hospital, and that will actually help us improve, uh, help us to recruit health professionals. And there you have it, uh, Health Minister Tom Osborne. We're up against the clock now for news, but uh, thank you so much for your time today to discuss not only issues in the healthcare portfolio, but in education as well. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, there you have it, Health Minister Tom Osborne. He is also the Education Minister alternate. Uh, that's all the time we have for you today on today's edition of On Target. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Linda's back tomorrow. We'll talk soon. Bye for now.